0: Today we're going to continue on with our series, our, our, final, uh, our final step in this series uh, about new beginnings. Because we knew that when Jesus came and when he died on the cross and rose again, that this was a new era, a new beginning. We even have the second half of the Bible is called the New Testament, as opposed to the first half, which is the Old Testament, because it's the old covenant, and now we live in the new covenant. We live in a new era. <clears throat> and I'm excited by that. But what I found is, There is something that must happen in us in order to be able to follow Christ. Years ago, in my life, I probably had about three romantic relationships, right? And and talking about romantic relationships is not one of my favorite things to do. And my wife is probably sitting there going, where are we going with this right now? And uh, I've I've, uh, probably had about three romantic relationships that have affected me in my life. And the first one that I had was probably I was about 17 years old. And and when I when I was I grew up as a, a pastor's kid and and I, I took up guitar and so they asked me to start a youth band and I started a youth band and, and what little did I know that uh, playing guitar and playing in a youth band can actually get you some attention from the ladies right and um, and I was no good looking guy I mean I uh, was acne all that stuff you know the, the, my, my idea of preening myself was taking a comb and dragging it across my head one time and that was my my, my hairbrush you know it's it's kind of you know when a young Teenage guys, or okay, anyway, so so I remember uh, on a Friday night, and there was a, a, a youth meeting. I was asked to kind of lead the music and stuff, and so I had done it. And then the meeting was over, and all the teaching was done. The meeting was over, and I was up on stage, and I was just sitting there, just packing my, my stuff up. And this young lady came up on the stage to speak to me and to introduce me, and I'm like, Oh, hello. <laughs> And, uh, and, uh, and, and she got to, you know, speaking with me, introduced herself, and I introduced myself, and, and I was chatting with her, and I found out she was actually the sister of one of the other guys that were in my band, Circle. And so I was chatting with her, and, and she goes, uh, so uh, would you like to meet up in, in town tomorrow? We'll just hang out in town tomorrow, right? So on the outside, I'm like, yeah, I think I can fit that in, but on the inside, I'm like, heck Yeah! Right, because I mean, because I was I had never ever gotten attention from any young ladies ever in my life. Right, I, just, I, I would be lucky if I get attention from a stray dog, but I did, certainly wasn't going to get any attention from any young ladies. And and so and so, I you know, you, you, the next day, I get myself together and I'm making you wear your best clothes that you can find, your best jeans and everything's got—it's got to be the best because that's your best impression. So I get into town on my bike. Right in a town, and, uh, and, I, and I meet her at the exact place they said we'd meet, and she brought a friend along, and I'm like, oh, I'm meeting a friend as well? Okay. Uh, and, then, uh, and, and, and so I thought, well, maybe that's a safe way of doing it, you know, she's got a friend with her. And then, and then I said, okay, so what do you want to do? And what we did was we went from store to store to store looking at women's clothes. Right? Now, that's not what you usually are guessing is going to happen in life. Maybe you try and get to know each other, sit over coffee, look each other in each other's eyes. But no, we went and looked at women's clothes. Now, I grew up with two sisters and a mother, so I've been dragged around women's clothes before. So I'm kind of used to this game. This is not a new gig for me. And so I'm going from store to store, and so I know to say things like, no, that doesn't make you look fat. No, 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 that color does look good. No, it's lovely. It's like, yes, absolutely, you're losing money if you don't don't buy this deal right now because it's on sale. Well, you're saving money. Yeah, I know all that chart, right? I, I've been down that path, so I know how to go from store to store. And so we did that. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, hey, it was nice hanging out. It's good seeing you. I guess we, we should go home now. So we went our separate ways. A few days later, I was, uh, I was at my church again. I was at band practice, and, and my, my buddies were there, and we're all chatting away. And her brother was there, and he goes, uh, oh, so my sister has uh, met someone new. She's, uh, she's starting to date someone some new. And I'm like, oh, really? I didn't realize I was dating already. Oh. I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool. And he goes, yeah, and, and his name is Kevin. I'm, like, I'm not Kevin. I want to be Kevin. I'm not Kevin. And I, was, I remember my heart just sinking right to the bottom of my stomach. And I couldn't believe this. I'm like, w- where did Kevin come from? What has happened? Am I chopped liver here? I thought we had a thing going on. We listen. I walked around from store to store looking at women's clothes with you. Come on now. This is crazy. And I was devastated. And just days afterwards, it was on my mind and I was hurt by this. And this is very typical for, for these types of relationships. And you might be thinking, well, that pizza, that wasn't really love. That was infatuation. Listen, at 17 years old, when you're getting attention from any young lady, it's love. And that was love for me. And I was devastated. I was hurt by this. I was, I was dropped like a hot potato faster than a toupee can be blown off your head in a storm, right? It's just, it was just, it was devastating that this had happened. Years later, I I, I, uh, I I was went off to Bible college and I was at Bible college and you find that, that people will start to connect with each other and they'll, they'll hook up and, and maybe they'll even get married and stuff because they've met each other at Bible college. And I had decided I didn't want to meet anybody. I didn't want to meet anyone that I wasn't ready to be married to because I just didn't want to go through that again. I don't want to go through the, I can't stand all the drama that comes with the whole romantic thing. I'm not really, uh, I'm not really the romantic kind of guy, right? I'm really good at Bills and being there on time, but 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 sometimes you know people you know, relationships demand that romantic level, and, and I'm not really good at that. And I said, well, I'll never ever meet anybody I'll, 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 until I'm ready to mar- marry them. And then I looked across a crowded theological library room and I saw another girl on the other side of the room. I'm like, oh, twinkle in my eye, twinkle in your eye, right? And so so we got to know each other, and and as we spent time with each other, there was a there was a there was a shift within myself where I wasn't willing to jump headlong into some emotional feeling with another person, and I wasn't going to go shopping around uh, uh, woman's clothes anymore, right? So there was going to be a very, very measured steps of how I was going to build my relationship with her. And, and as we did that, we got into a deeper relationship, and then we did have a romantic relationship. We got to the point we were with each other for two years, nearly getting to the point we were about to get married, and we decided not to. And the reason why we didn't It's because I started to see red flags, not just in her life, but in my life. And I realized, I don't think this is going to work. I got to a place where I I even got so scared that one night I had a dream that I was speaking to my children, explaining to them why I was going to have to leave their mother. And I I was really scared. I was shaken by that. And I got to a point where I decided, listen, I just, I can't, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't be with you. I have promised that I will be there for you until Christ returns, and I can't keep that promise. And I was so devastated that I couldn't live up to what I wanted to live up to. But really what it was, was it was a real kind of crashing together, a confluence of two issues that were within me, and that was my own inadequacy and my own pride. You see, I didn't want to be in the type of place where, as, as I grew up a, as a pastor's kid, I was so used to people looking at my life and examining my life and having opinions about my life. I didn't want anyone telling me what to do, and so I was going to be successful. I'm going to make my relationships work. I'm going to be successful. Even if I serve God, I will do it my way. I'm going to do it. I don't need to do it other people's ways, especially if I disagree with the way they're doing it. I don't need advice from anyone. I can do it. I've been hurt before. I've been smart. I've been you know, once bitten, twice shy smart enough to know what I'm doing and I think I'm taking the steps for I think I know what I'm doing think I know what I'm doing only to discover I didn't know what I was doing still And so soon after that is actually when I met Pastor Mark in Scotland and he invited me to come over to America and to work for him and the rest has been history and I've been here for over 20 years and when I was here for just a few years, I started to like somebody else and that's my current wife Crystal. I'm kidding sorry) <laughs> My only wife, Crystal. You missed that one, didn't you? She didn't. But this time round, I didn't want to tell God how it had to be. I wasn't going to tell Him it has to be this way. And neither was I going to say, "No, I'll withdraw myself from You, and I'll only do it my way. I want to be with." I, I, I decided to become someone who was not willful. Because you see, in my first relationship, I was just blindly headlong, ready to take whatever I could get. But by the time I got to my second relationship, I was much more willful. It was my will that was in control. I was not going to be told what to do, I was going to take control of how things were going to go. But by the time I got to the place where I was considering Crystal, I was much more of a surrendered person. Maybe not entirely. But there was a time when my father came over and I wasn't about to just jump into a relationship with Crystal. My father came over to to America and I took him out for for lunch. And I remember the very restaurant in Altamore that we went to. And we went to this little restaurant and I remember him sitting across uh, the table from me. and And I said, dad, I've got a question for you. And he goes, I know what you're gonna ask. And I said, well, what am I gonna ask? And he said, it's not for me to say, it's for you to say, it's got to come out of you. And I'm like, well, what do you think of Crystal?" And he said, I think that she'll be one of the best choices you'll ever make in your life. And that just gave me this whole lease of life, this freedom to be able to choose something that I was scared of doing. I mean, I was going to marry an American. How scary is that, right? Okay, so... (laughs) I was scared of doing this, right? So, so I, I, was I going to have to give up my country? Would I have to give up where I lived? Was I going to give up what I had to do in life? I was only here for a couple of years. I wasn't really had plans of staying here forever in, in America, right? As amazing as it is, right? And, and, and so I was scared about doing it, but I stopped getting to the point of telling God how things had to be. I was now in the place where I was willing to be surrendered. Whatever you want me to do, God, that's what I'll do. And I believe that following Christ is much like having a romantic relationship. Because when you follow Christ, it has to be based on a heart of love. It's got to be based on how much you're going to be involved in this relationship. Some of you have maybe had that that, that stage in your life where you've had a deeply uh, emotional, romantic relationship with Christ where you were all in. You realized that he had saved you and everything was so wonderful and it was wonderful, it was great. You were just so grateful that someone chose you. Maybe you've made mistakes in life and you were just so glad that that Jesus came along and said, I'll take you, you can be on my team. I, I wanna have you on my team. And you were so glad that you weren't the last guy standing to be picked to go on someone's team. You were chosen by Christ. But maybe what happens as you go along, maybe you've had the experience of the church hurting you. Or maybe you think that Jesus or God has disappointed you. And what happens as you're walking with Christ, there's a little bit of a distance that comes between you and him. Marriages can sometimes be that way. Where when we first see people who are couples who are coming to get married, they're all over it. It's like they're nearly sitting on top of each other on the couch when they're looking for advice of how to get married, etc. Give it maybe five or ten years and suddenly they're sitting on the other ends of the couch. They're still married. They're still committed. But they're no longer got that closeness. There's a gap between them. The times when they would walk along the seashore holding hands, uh, eating bags of pork rind or something, you know, and and, and just being so glad to be together because that's all we could afford. Now you have the money and you're not taking the time to spend with each other. Sometimes that can be like our, our walk with Christ. And it's like we're in so much control of how the blessing in our life must come about that it has to be my way. It's got to be this way. And if it didn't happen that way, then maybe I'm now just a little bit disappointed. As I look in scriptures, one of my favorite people in the Bible is a guy by the name of Peter, who's the same name as mine, that's not the reason. But he went through this whole process of his relationship with his relationship with Christ had to change. And it took him three and a half years for it to entirely change. In Matthew chapter 16. This is months before Christ is about to go to the cross and he turns to his disciples and he says, who do you think, you know, who do you think I am? And Peter confessed him and said, you know, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you get who I am. And because you get who I am, I'm going to build my church upon you. And then in the very same instance, he didn't get what Jesus had to do. He knew who he was in love with, but he didn't know what he had to do. And we're going to pick it up in verse 21. It says, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed on the third day, and on the third day be raised to life. What is that about? We know that's about Jesus going to the cross. That's what we just celebrated last, last weekend with Good Friday and then the resurrection on Easter. But Peter took him aside. He took him him away from anybody else because he maybe didn't want to embarrass him in front of his friends, in front of his disciples. Like, Jesus, come over here. Listen, listen, I I don't, don't think you get how this must work. You can't go to a cross. You can't, we need to do a change of plans. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, that there must be your biggest warning, your big, flag of warning, right? You're rebuking the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace, the one who created heaven and earth. Let me rebuke God and tell him how he's going to do things. But we do this all the time. God, what do you think you're doing? I don't understand. Explain yourself, God. He began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but your own concern. You're not really concerned about how I am loved. You're not really in concern of how, uh, what I'm going to do. You just want things to be your way. You're more concerned about what you feel about this love, not about how I feel. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must, what does that word say? Come on, say it with, say it with enthusiasm whoever wants to be my disciple must deny deny themselves. What does deny mean? It means to surrender, not your way, but God's way. Surrender is the only way you can follow after Christ. Hello. There isn't another way of following Christ. You can't follow at a distance you can't be a part-time lover with Jesus Christ on the weekend. It's a 24-7. Everything is surrender. You don't take Jesus and put him at the top of your list. He is the very paper that everything in your life is written upon. And so everything is now defined and surrendered to him. And Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This is all about surrender. Months, maybe a year later or so, I think it was maybe months later, Jesus finally has met with these guys in an upper room. And they're about to have the last supper. And as they're in that upper room, Jesus knows this is the last time I get to spend with my guys before I become the sacrifice. And we know the story. We know he was in the, uh, the upper room and he, he took the bread and he took the wine and he made them into sacraments and he said, I want you to take these things and I want you to remember me and what I'm about to do. And then that evening he was betrayed by Judas and he was taken off to the, 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 the temple course where the priests actually uh, accused him and beat him and did all these different things. But as he was with them in John chapter 13, it says this, It says, my children, he said, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Like, listen, I know we had that kind of tiff about six months ago and you called me Satan and all that type of stuff and told me to get you behind me. But listen, I get it now. You got to do your thing, okay? I won't control you. You just do your thing. But you're not gonna tell me what to do here. You're not gonna tell me that I can't love you the way I want to love you. You can't, you can't tell me how I'm gonna love you, how I'm gonna be in this relationship. You can't dictate how things are going to be. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. You see, Peter could accept the cross for Jesus, but he couldn't accept it for himself. Because he probably didn't think that he would need to go to the cross. What has he done that's wrong? What has he done that would ever warrant being crucified or being tortured, or being hurt, or being rejected by God upon a cross. What has he ever done? He's brought his best A game every time. But Christ tells him his pride must be broken. Because the love and the relationship that existed between him and Christ was based on his pride. It was based on this is how things must happen. You can't have a relationship with Christ that way. And as Jesus was taken Uh, to Garden Gethsemane. They went to pray and he was taken by the guards and they were taken off to the the, the courtyard where all the priests were. He was taken. We know that he was interrogated and he was spat upon. He was beaten and Peter decided to follow closely behind. And he followed just closely enough to try and hear what was going on and try to see what was going on. Then a young girl comes up to him and says, Hey, aren't you, aren't you that guy that was with Peter I saw earlier on? He's like, hey, no, I'm not me. Shh shh, shh. I'm not here, okay? It's not me. Just leave me alone. And someone else came up and said, No, you are. You're, you're the guy. You're one of Jesus' guys, aren't you? He's like, no, it's not me. I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. And as he was sitting there warming his hands up by the fire, someone else came up and said, I know who you are. You're the guy from Galilee. You're with that guy, Jesus. No, no, that's not me. That's not my commitment. I'm not a part of that. This crap is all falling apart. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And oftentimes, this is what we do even with marriages. We certainly do it with Jesus, is that when things are not going the way that we want it to go, we're ready to withdraw ourselves, even though we've said, I will be there until the day comes and everything falls apart, I will stand. And you didn't. The fact is, every one of us is Peter. Every one of us will deny Christ. Every one of us will fail at some point. It's going to happen. Maybe you've been the type of person who has failed pursuing Christ that one day, once you were excited about telling other people about Christ, you were evangelistic, but your voice has now been quenched because you got disappointed by the fact of how other people treated you. Or maybe you had great dreams for your marriage and you were so excited about how this will be an example of marriage and there'll be joy, and now maybe you're divorced. Maybe you've been in a place where you had great vision for life and you wanted to be significant in life, but actually you've now been sucked into a lifestyle of just paying for your bills and now the only thing that excites you is what you bought that was new, that's a new toy. Maybe you've got that type of faith where once I was in love with Jesus Christ, but now it's like we're sitting on opposite ends of the couch in front of God the Father and we need some counseling about we don't have that love anymore. I've lost that loving feeling. We do that with each other and we have done it with Christ. And I would be in that place myself where I nearly married the wrong person simply because I had to succeed at this. I had to make it work my way. But the only way that works is when you are completely surrendered. Jesus is not the only one who needs to carry the cross. And let me say this, if you need to forgive us as a church or whatever church you've ever been to that sold you the idea that getting with Jesus was going to make everything wonderful, we are sorry because it's not wonderful. When I came to Jesus, that's when all my problems began. When I got married, that's when my work really began, right? Having marriage is work. It's difficult. Raising children crushes you, as we talked about last week, right? You want to shake us, children, okay? And it's the same with Jesus that when you're walking with Jesus, there's a crushing that must happen, that you must die. You must deny yourself. You must entirely surrender in order to have the type of love that you so desire to have. It just can't be about you. Hello, Northwest. It can't be about you. As Peter saw Jesus going to the cross and how devastated he must have felt, he went back to his business. He decided, if I've lost my old way, If I've lost the one that I love, if I've lost my vision, I've lost my desire, then I'm just going to go back, and I'm I'm just going to go back to work. I'm going to go back to work, and it says that he was out fishing, and he was back on his boat, and he'd been fishing all night, and there was no fish to be caught. There was nothing there. And then a guy on the shore shouted to him and said, you should throw your net on the other side. And the amazing thing was, that was Jesus, but he didn't know it was that. He didn't even argue with him and go, who are you? Do you fish? I'm the one that fishes. I've been fishing all night long. I'm the guy who knows what he's doing. I'm the expert. Who do you think you are to tell me what to do? I can handle this, this, this stuff, thanks very much. No, he didn't do that. He was such a surrendered, broken fellow that he just went, I got nothing to lose. I, got, I, I have no fish, I got no future, I got nothing left. And he threw it over the other side and got in such a pool of fish into his boat. His buddy went, I think that's Jesus. And what he did was he didn't wait to verify whether it was Jesus. He literally just ran over and jumped over into the water and swam for shore till he could find Jesus. And then his buddies rowed the boat into shore. And it doesn't really have much of what Jesus said. It's not written what they talked about as he came up on shore and asked, is that you really you? Because we don't know if they said anything. But they sat down, and and Jesus said, Go back to your boat and bring in some fish. And when he brought in some fish, they cooked it together and they ate together. And we pick it up in John chapter 21. It says this And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, note that he called him Simon, not Peter. He was addressing who he was, he was addressing his past. He was taking him to a place where he had to go through a place of healing. You're Simon. The reason why you've been Simon is because you weren't broken. It was your way. It was your old way. You haven't taken up the cross. You're still your old self. I need you to entirely change. But he didn't say any of that. He just said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? More than what? Do you love me more than this business? Do you love me more than your own security? Do you love me more than all your dreams and ideas of how life should be? Do you love me than all the people that you've ever left, your family, your friends, your siblings? Do you love me more than them? Do you love me more than being in control of your life and even in this relationship that you and I have together? Do you love me more than that? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then go do your purpose. Feed my lambs. You know that I've been calling you to something greater than what you've ever done in life. Something greater than you could ever imagine. I want you to go about that business and make that happen. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep, go about my business, and fulfill the purpose that I have called you to. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him for a third time. He was hurt because Jesus had asked him for a third time. Sometimes I believe that we need to be hurt by Christ. Sometimes we need to feel the pain of him breaking us so that he can restore all the places where we have been broken. He has to point out the junk that we're trying to cover over. He has to uncover it and say, let's deal with these things here. You denied me three times? I'm going to heal those three times right there. Because the fact is, you never could have loved Christ. You never could have served Christ the way that you've always dreamed of doing. You never could have achieved that. You were always going to fail. That's the harsh reality of our humanity in this life. And so he goes through them one by one. And what he doesn't do is he doesn't say, I forgive you now. He says something entirely different. He says, do you love me? Do you want to close this gap with me? Do you want to bring up and cinch up and pull it back together again? Do you want to pull this in closer? Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know what I've done. You know where I've been. You know all the stuff, the junk that I've done. You also know how to do stuff. I don't. I've proven that I don't know what I'm doing. And when I got to the place where I was ready to have a relationship with Crystal, I was in the place where it was God, I don't know how to have a relationship. I don't know how to be romantically involved. I don't know how to create a marriage. I don't need to know because you know. You're the one who knows how to walk, and I'm going to follow after you because you're the only one who knows how to have a marriage. You're the only one who knows how to walk into life and that's why I'll follow you. So if you say, stay here, I'll stay here. If you say, go there, I'll go there. If you say, love that person, I'll love that person. I only want to do what you're doing. Are you follow me so far? You know all things he said and you know that I love you. The fact is, You can't do this walk with Christ if you don't have that first love. All you'll be able to do is walk around following him and seeing what he is doing in other people's lives. But when you get into that deep, love, surrendered relationship with Christ, that's the point when he sends you off to go be him. I had a conversation with one of my neighbors recently We were at a party and I was just chatting about, we got into a conversation with fathers and I said, what was your father like? And he goes, didn't know him too well. And I said, why is that? And he goes, well, 45 years ago, my dad died when I was nine years old. I said, how did you feel about that? And he just started to tear up. And he said, I don't know. And I said, you miss your dad? And he goes, every day, 45 years, I still miss my father. I said, you know, you can still have your dad here today. And he said, how'd you do that? I said, become your dad. Because when you become your dad, you have the love of your father back again. This is what I did when, I, when my father passed away. And two years later, I felt God told me to become my father. And I remember getting up. I remember getting up and I remember going to the wardrobe and I remember digging out his shoes and I put his shoes on and I decided to walk in his shoes. I could have my father here today. I just had to become him. You can have Christ in your heart today. You have to become him. Jesus just said, you have to fall deeply in love with me and then become me. Go feed my sheep. Go feed my lambs. Go do everything that I've called you to, which is why in this church that we, we want four things for you to discover. And the first one is this. We want you to know God. We don't want you to be a weekend Christian. We don't want you to know about God just because you read the Bible. We want you to fall deeply in love with the Son. We want you to know Him like you know Him like you know Him. And once you get to know him, we want you to find freedom. Why? Because there is junk in your past that has to be uncovered and that has to be removed in your life, that has to be resolved in your life, so that doesn't affect the way that you do things in the future. This is why Jesus said to cast off your burdens upon him, for he comes to heal the broken hearted and bandage their wounds. Finding freedom is so important in our lives. The third thing is that we want you to know the body of Christ. Why? Because Jesus has decided to manifest himself entirely in the body of Christ. It's only through each other that we're able to discover other parts of what Jesus is and what he says. This is just the way it works. Years ago, when I first came over to America and I was trying to move on from that dysfunctional relationship I had, I remember driving down the road one day with Pastor Mark and I was just going through a bad day and I was in tears and I was crying. I'm like, it's just, it sucks and all this type of stuff. And I was telling him how bad my day was and then he said this thing. It was a a little bit of a drop the mic moment and he goes, well, if that's the worst thing you have to live with, you've got a lot to be thankful for. And it was like he was saying, sucketh it up in the name of Jesus, MoveOn.com. If this is the worst thing you have to live with, you've got a lot to be grateful for because your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the only thing you need to worry about. And that moment changed my life. It was like a pivot point when I was able to say, I'm done. I am done with that that step. I'm done with failing. I'm ready to be surrendered and choose something great in my life. And it came through the body of Christ. And the last thing we want you to discover is this, is to discover your purpose. Ephesians 2.10, it says, We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The fact is that God has given you a unique gift in this life. And only you can do it. Sometimes i come across people that are doing amazing things and I will say, thank you for what you do. And they'll go, "Ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. And I'm like, no, no, no. It is a big deal because I can't do what you do. It might be easy for you to, to work on the, the, the vocation that you do. You work with electrical or you work with plumbing or you work with other stuff and I'll go, thanks for doing that. Ah, oh, it's no big deal. It's not a problem. You just have to do this. You just have to do that. And I'm like, whoa, 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 stop telling me how to do stuff because I don't want to do it and I don't know how to do it. I would rather you do it because that's your unique gift. Thank you for serving in the nursery and looking after babies because I might end up shaking them. We don't want that to happen. I go, no, oh, no, it's no big deal. No, 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 it is a big deal because that's your gift. That's your purpose. That's you being a part of the body of Christ. I need you, I want you, and I hope that you need me and want me too because that's love. And as right is. I want to invite you to stand and we're gonna take this communion right now and if you don't have any communion with you, if you wanna just put your hand up and the ushers will come forward to to bring the little sacraments. I always look at these little cups and think, Jesus, are you in there? Because I believe as we're taking communion together, I believe that when Peter was taking this, usually we talk about Jesus, right? And that's the important thing here is Jesus. But I believe that when Peter took the sacraments from that day forward, he didn't look at the sacraments and think, look how bad the past was. But he saw the sacrament as a pivot point in his life where everything changed, where he became suffered, he was crushed, And he became surrendered to the cross. This is where love began again. And where it took a deep root within him. I want to encourage you this morning that God has way more for you than you realize. You think you have failed up to this point. If you think that you have done well up to this point. It took Peter three years, three and a half years to get to this point. How many years has it taken you? Don't sweat it doesn't have to be done overnight. But trust that God will crush you enough to take you to the place of discovering life. So as we take this wafer, we hold it up and we say, Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. That your son has been the pivot point for us. That he was broken so that we might be healed. He was broken so that our past can be crushed And we don't have to stay in brokenness, but we can be done with brokenness. And we thank you, Father, for giving us your son's body and we receive it now in the name of Jesus. Father, we take the symbol of your blood, son, your son's blood, We want to tell you how much we love you. We want to tell you how much we need you. And we receive what you have done and we receive even the cross that we must carry in order to be in love with the Most High. We receive you now in the name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you and make his face shine upon you.